AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. L-A-S-I-K. LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K. LASIK.com. You are now listening to Waiting on Reparations, a production of iHeartRadio. Uh, we wait on reparations. Uh, uh, uh. You know, the workers ship the boxes. They swiffer and they mop and look chipper whenever talking and whipping the shopping carts. They stack the beer in the walk-ins and pack the weird little boxes. Keep our kitchen fridges stocked and our financial markets solvent. They clock in for 50, 50 bucks and bear the coffin of like 60, 30 chuds and get spit on like sitting ducks and they're sick of it. Enough, so if you ever wanted to honor them, here's my ask for all my hominids. We boycotting them. Amazon and Target and FedEx and Walmart and Instacart and Whole Foods till the fucking boss is bargaining. Workers run the company. There isn't any argument. Yeah. So are you with them? Are you with? Yo, <laughs> she said there isn't any arguments. Don't care what type of car you in. I don't fuck with MAGA hats because I'm a real partisan. Need to break the system down. Maybe we should start again. Need to bring your punk ass on the left where you ought to been. They sobbing and crying. Stop with the lying. They told you niggas drink bleach. Now you coughing and dying. Don't mind me, homie. I'm just off and defiant. On the mound like I'm Nolan Ryan or I'm Kobe Bryant with the jump shot. I don't give a shit about what these punks got. Homie on a microphone rapping till my lungs pop. Sun stop. So hot you see in some spots. <laughs> None of that made sense. Hey. Hey. What's going on, y'all? My name's Dope Knife. I'm Lila Franca. And we are waiting, waiting on, on reparations. Hurry up. How you doing this week, champ? I'm good. I'm good. I cannot complain too much. You know, all things considered. On a, you know, good personal note, I have found myself in a little bit of a creative streak where I've just been hammering out a lot of music more details to come on that in the future and it's always fun to like get back in that headspace and that mode where it's like you're just writing all the time and recording all the time um it for me it comes in waves so when i find myself in that i really go for it but you know i'm going to be talking about that shit a lot in the future have you been keeping track of this shit going down in texas you were just talking about this shit like what the fuck is going Yo, on there texas? is like a straight up epidemic 
of rappers getting shot in Texas. It almost feels kind of exploitative to like run down a list of people who got shot. You know, it's not the which rappers got shot report show. Some notable names: uh, Lil Boozy, Benny the Butcher. Both of them survived. Uh, a newer cat that I haven't personally heard of, Mo Three. He passed away in a shooting, and a spat of local rappers. Um, you know, a couple have died. A couple were just wounded. It's not like a conspiracy or anything, I don't think. It, no, nothing is re, seems to be related to direct, directly related to each other. It's just super weird all what the, the fuck that's about. All in the state of Texas, all within like the last three weeks, two weeks. Yeah, so, and, you know, just something. You know, I hate seeing anybody die or get shot and shit, let alone, you know, black men, let alone rappers, just... Struck me as something I, I do. I, am I missing something? Is there a part of this story that I don't know? But it's just something I'm going to keep an eye out. Um, what's on your radar? So here in Georgia, the runoffs are in full swing. There's tons of like national organizations descending upon us, trying to bring in their expertise and bring in their money. And so, you know, I'm not super stoked about John Ossoff in particular, who I saw speak Friday night at the 40 Watt. Uh, he even says some dumb shit like, you can't expect your elected officials to vote the way you want all the time. It's like, way to cover your own ass for that fucking horrendous Axios interview in which you came across as only standing against things that are highly popular with the American public and not for anything, regardless of whether or not you support those policies personally as a viewer. It just looks fucking stupid. Anyway, so I'm just trying to give himself further cover from that and, like, kind of getting heckled by some of the, like, young, young progressive crowd that were there. Um, But the fact of the matter is that um, we do need to flip the Senate in order for anything like Medicare for all or a federal jobs guarantee to be remotely possible. Um, in order for people to get a second round of stimulus checks, like, which is ridiculous that we've only gotten $1,200 this entire fucking time. And the fact of the matter is that uh, if people are going to be organizing the state, they need to be connecting with folks on the ground who know these communities, who have ability to get people trained and paid to get out there and do the work of contacting folks. Also, in Warnock's campaigns, if you donate to that shit, that money is going straight to consultants that are yeah. going to tell them to make ads about puppies and, oh, I'm not a socialist or whatever. Whereas, like, the most effective way to spend money is through actually paying people to do the work of going out and talking to people one-on-one. I hope they realize that, like, especially in Georgia, like, a lot of the, a lot of the, the, of what was able to make Georgia flip was coming out of the progressive, you know, aspect, <laughs> progressive part of yeah, things. Yeah, like, this, this isn't this isn't like, Ohio, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like we're we're not in that that position. It, it was the progressive movement and activism that really you know was out there on the ground and like signing people up and knocking on door and registering doing this voters. shit when no one was watching and no one gave a fuck. Yes, that's what we were doing. And so I've launched this project called the Athens Progressive Canvassing Corps, where we are raising about 25k to pay people to go out and knock on doors and do direct voter outreach over the next six weeks for both our runoff for district attorney and for the Senate and Public Service Commissioner um, campaigns. Speaking of Public Service Commissioner, we're going to have Democratic candidate Daniel Blackman on the show next week, Mm -hmm. who himself has a background in hip-hop. If elected, will be the only statewide elected 
Democrat in the state of Georgia. And as well, I believe the first black man to hold this position in 150 years. Oh, shit. So we got history on the line. Yeah, he's a dope dude. Uh, Bernie's 2016 uh, field director for the state of Georgia. Mm. So he's a, you know, he's a comrade. That's going to be exciting. But yeah, so we're having him on next week. But uh, so yeah, I've been uh, getting to work with these run-ups, man. Not, you know, like if if people are going to be get all this fucking hullabaloo about it, then we might as well be like directing it to efforts that are like localized, that and are informed. Tangible and actually. And offering material, tangible benefit to people who live in these communities that we're trying to turn out because so many people are out of work with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. People need fucking money. So pay them to go talk to people rather than paying for ads on the air where, I don't know, you talk about how you love puppies. I love puppies. I get it. I think the uh, it, bro. the people who make money off of political ads, they've done well enough. <laughs> they're, they're good they're right now. They're doing fine. <laughs> they're doing, they just had like a billion dollars spent on them. Yeah, they're good. They're good. Yeah. I mean, I will be canvassing along with you. And, you know, it's there, there's moments where just sending some money is cool, but boots on the ground can make a difference if you can do it and i should clarify the boots on the ground i meant shoes on the ground i didn't mean to make a war like analogy i just wear boots all the fucking time anyway with the georgia election coming up and now that donald trump has been at least temporarily defeated like i said we're keeping monitor of their authoritarian streak that's going on with the gop right now but now that donald trump is a little bit to the side and there's more of a spotlight on the differences between the varying spectrums of the left and shit. There's been a lot of news made of late, like we talked about last episode, with um, the sort of fissure within the Democratic Party reemerging itself between the progressive wing and the establishment moderate centrist wing. And I think we're seeing this play out in microcosm in Georgia where we do have elections on the line. And so this debate nationally about like what wins is now trickling down into the discourse around what should Ossoff and Warnock do in order to win these runoffs? Should they lean left? Should to excite you know the base? Given these you know policies like Medicare for all are so broadly popular in the American public, or do they play it safe? And like just seeing a lot of debate online about what they should do. Now there's. Definitely tons of complexity to the issue. But if you're a regular person and you're not following this shit like from day to day, every detail, then it kind of kind of gives you kind of get the impression that what the fight is, is that part of the Democrats want to be socialists and the other part are not. And that's what the issue is. So we wanted to talk about the word socialism and the concept of socialism. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yes, socialism. <laughs> um, like I said, we'll keep track of the 70 million Americans who don't believe in reality and the results of the election. They think that the biker mice from Mars harvested ballots for black people, and that was before Q could stop the Star Trek Enterprise from hyperspace. I don't know what the fuck these people believe in, but we'll keep an eye on it. All right? Today, <laughs> today we're talking about socialism. 
its role in American politics, black people's participation in different socialist movements, and then we'll discuss uh, how hip-hop fits in the capitalist, socialist, communist paradigm of ideologies. And to do that, we're going to be talking with communist rapper and producer Space Babies later on in the podcast. And that, that was a really cool discussion that we had. So wherever you are right now, hang on to your butts. We're about to get in some dope shit. With the underperformance of the Democrats in the House races across the country, um, there's been a lot of finger pointing at the more progressive wing of the party. And by progressive wing, you know, that obviously means a bunch of people, but like the public face of that in this moment of time, I I mean, it's undeniably AOC, Ileana Omar, Ayanna Presley, Rashida Tlaib, the squad is kind of the face of progressive America. You know? and now you got cats like Jamal Bowman, Corey Bush that were just recently. Yeah, new, new, newer editions. Yeah. yeah. So, per The Atlantic, progressives and moderates have already ditched their United Against Trump banner to publicly litigate the spat Democratic losses during the election. With Representative Alexandria Ocasio Cortez of New York and Connor Lamb of Pennsylvania offering competing diagnoses of the party's problems. So the argument is that people like AOC can't really speak to what works in swing districts because she lives in a very deeply blue uh, congressional. She holds a very deeply blue congressional seat, but that ignores data to the contrary when we take a look at folks like Katie Porter um, and others that represent swing districts but ran on issues like Medicare for All and won re-election, whereas moderates like Debbie Mercarsel Powell um, and Donna Shalala, like uh, that, you know, took a more moderate tack and lost and lost their elections. Folks like, I mean, sure, Co- I mean, Cory Bush is was, Cory Bush's district was represented for a long time by a Democratic congressman, but still Missouri. Mm-hmm. She ran on defunding the police, among other things. And uh, she, isn't she wasn't isn't she a Black Lives Matter actually? She's black, yeah, yeah, straight up got tear gas from Ferguson and shit, <laughs> so. and um, you know won election. And so like, I uh, I feel like there's a lot of finger pointing because no one wants to admit the weaknesses on their respective sides. But there is at least some anecdotal evidence to suggest that running on populist messaging actually works. Actually works even in in leaning Republican districts. This whole thing kind of kicked off with a contentious call amongst the House Democratic Caucus. And uh, the moderate members were complaining that the progressive members who championed ideas like defunding the police and Medicare for all had cost the party congressional seats. And a quote that got a fair amount of ink came from Representative Abigail Spanberger, a Democrat from Virginia. She said, we need to not ever use the word socialist or socialism ever again. We lost good members because of that. Now, it should be of note the irony involved with this particular congresswoman who uh, was a former agent in the CIA, an organization known for toppling socialist governments. (laughs) Replacing them with fascist right-wing dictators. So, you know, that, that aside, what is it about the word socialism and our understanding of it that scares half the country and then a large 
chunk of it just has trouble understanding? I would say that having studied somewhat uh, U.S. interventions in socialist governments around the world um, and governments around the world in general and what their modus operandi seems to be is an interest in expanding global markets to extend the reach of corporate power in a way that enriches the folks that donate to the campaigns of the people that are in Congress and in the Senate. Um, We think about the way that uh, after the fall of... After the invasion of Iraq, the way that the borders were opened and, and goods started flowing in from Iran and other countries... Um, and they promised they were going to build Walmarts and McDonald's's. Um, sure, it was about toppling a dictatorship, but it was also about uh, making making Halliburton tons of money and yeah. making money for tons of multinational corporations that wanted to get access to that market. If you look at the way that um, uh, we backed the. We we backed the the military coup against uh, Salvador Allende in Chile in the 1970s. Um, Like, it's out of fear that our our global reach, our global ability to control the flows of, of... of capital, of goods in and out of other countries, and that ultimately that capital will line the pockets of folks here in the United States. We're, we're, so, we're so scared. We're so scared of socialism because of how it affects our bottom lines as Americans. And not us, as in me and you, obviously, but like thinking about just like the folks that represent us, these are the fears that they have. We also have to give credit to the propaganda machine of it, too. I mean, I'm. I'm that unique age where it's like I was a child both during the Cold War and post-Cold War, you know what I'm saying? So I remember what it was like growing up on both sides of that. And it's like, you know, there was a time when the communist was the bad guy in everything, you know what I'm saying? And it's just for 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 years, socialists and communists have always been used as like a pejorative by the American right against leftists or radical anti-establishment you know people from the left and you know i would say in my lifetime when i when i started like noticing the how the use of that was like becoming what it is today the use of that word socialism and how it's used politically probably like in 2008 when barack obama was running you know what i'm saying like in particular after uh John McCain had selected Sarah Palin and she had had her first speech and the party started like morphing into what we know the Republican Party now. That is when it was just this nonsensical use of like anybody who is left of Mussolini is a a socialist. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And it's like Barack Obama is a socialist. And it kind of it gained more notoriety as a thing. They were doing it all throughout Barack Obama's presidency. Then Bernie Sanders' ascension during the primary in 2016 made socialism become more of a hot topic again. And it was like him and Hillary Clinton duked it out. And next thing you know, during the, by the time the general election came around, the Republicans were saying Hillary Clinton was the biggest socialist queen and though she invented socialism, you know what I'm saying? And the same thing now. We see the same exact thing where... They were just sitting down waiting for whoever came out of the Democratic end that they could, and they would paint it with that brush of socialists and socialism. So we know that that accounts for 
that half of the country. They're all living in this right-wing echo chamber where they're getting fed that propaganda still like it's 1960 or some shit like that. Socialism, socialism, communism, communism. They're coming for you. They're going to take your kids. They're going to, you know, all that fear. Black Lives Matter is communist. Uh, Antifa's communist. So now that we're in this state where people are scared of it and, you know, like the Democrats are trying to push this message of like, be scared of that word. We need to stay away from that word. We need to stay away from the word. And by extension, it's we need to stay away from those ideas. And and it's just it for like that's what makes me scared about it is to me it's it's kind of like a dog signal of the, of the Democrats drifting further right as opposed to there being any risk that they're going to become like a socialist party. It's just like, you know, an abandonment of leftist principles in general. I think that's what the signals. It's hard enough to get people to look up some shit that they don't know to begin with. But with that, if somebody does hear something like that, let's say someone like my mom, you know, whenever these sort of things come up, I always think of my mom. My mom is like at the mercy of like watching the news and what MSNBC, you know, when she hears stuff like that, if she were to take it upon herself to go like look up socialism, you should get on Google, do a Google search for it and then read what the first result was, which would probably be Wikipedia. So what does Wikipedia tell the average (laughs) internet searcher what socialism is? Let's check this out. So socialism, in essence, is political, social, and economic philosophy encompassing a range of economics and social systems, all characterized by social ownership of the means of production and workers' self-management of enterprises. So pretty much workers run the world. We create all value through our labor, and so we should not only control the means of production through which capital is produced, but also uh, operate democratically within those workplaces to make decisions for ourselves as um, workers' enclaves, as, you know, as places of work. Um, it, uh, social ownership can be public through, you know, like the government, collective, through communities, cooperative or based on equity and there's and there's no single definition that encapsulates that encapsulates all the many types of socialism so what what are but the examples though socialism of- is um though social ownership is like the one common element that all these things share okay um so there, there's the, like so i like said anarcho-syndicalism anarcho-communism state communism whatever you want to call it all these things are socialist in that the common element they all share is social ownership of the means of production. So there's, like I said, this is all from Wikipedia, and I just felt that it's important because the average person who's going to look it up, if they're interested, they're going to stumble across that. So you are like, you would consider yourself to be a socialist. I would, socialist. Co- I would consider myself a baby socialist in that I'm still studying theory, and so I can't really speak like authoritatively on like the political economy of like both the one we're currently living under and how like capitalism is failing us and why yeah um as well as what communism or full socialism would look like but the general idea i mean it comes back to the social ownership of the means production i do believe that um workers you know ship the boxes they swiffer and they mop and they you know should run the shit because so so then we produce we make we produce shit so then even even though you know you feel that 
you can't necessarily speak authoritatively about it. I'm not a political economist, no. But do you feel, as someone who considers themselves to be a socialist, do you feel comfortable with that opening blurb that you just read? Yeah, I think think emphasis emphasis on, especially like we on the left, what we all have in common for the most part, being that we believe in social ownership of the means of production, like... That's sort of my guiding principle and like how I vibe with others on the left. Like, are you good with that? We can suss out the differences between whether we believe there should be a government or not, whether or not we believe private property should exist at all. But like, you know, I'm not going to fight with you over that if you're down with this general idea that workers run the that workers run the world and the world should treat them as if they do. L-A-S-I-K LASIK.com Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K LASIK.com <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. I was watching... God, I wish... I tried looking it up, but I couldn't find it. It was one of those things where you're scrolling on Facebook and you see the video, but you don't know who was by. So it was this funny skit. Um, and this was back, you know, closer to when the George Floyd stuff was popping off, right? But it was like a skit. It was like this black dude, and he's at a protest, and he's like, listen to the talker. And the talker's like, we have to fight for black lives. And everyone's like, yeah. And he's like, yeah. It's like, and we have to fight for reparations yeah and he's like yeah yeah it's like then they just start going off this like list and we have to make sure that there are no white people that are doing voices for black characters and he's like oh i don't really and everyone's like cheering he's like and we have to fight for the marxist leninist revolution he's like wait what he doesn't know i wasn't ready for that it just it brings it just brings to mind that it's um there is a lot you know and I kind of feel it's right wing game as well but there there does seem to be almost a uh, a effort to portray this radical or socialist streak 
in in American politics as being something that's white. Yeah, and that is like. A, and I think I think there is some there is some sort of like historical precedent for that in that because it has been a movement of the oppressed working class that hasn't been oppressed by on on other planes of identity with regards to like race or gender like if you're just like a white blue collar male like being drawn to into labor movements and things like that is kind of your thing i mean there are a lot of bros though yeah yeah, yeah. but i think but i think it is somewhat ahistorical in that there are black socialists a lot of our most famed leaders in in movements for civil rights and for um like things like prison abolition that are becoming increasingly popular, we're socialists. Can you can you rattle off some names for the people? Sure. I mean, like there's some there's some folks that are like underappreciated in our like collective imagination and collective sense of history. Like A. Philip Randolph, who organized the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, so he was involved in labor organizing. Um, he was agitating for um, the relief from unfair labor practices. Um, for people of color under FDR, who eventually issued, I think it's Executive Order 8802, um, that banned discrimination in defense industries during World War II. And so, you know, working against discrimination within the workplace. Um, and I think then later on, under Harry S. Truman um, in 1948, uh, his. Uh, a Philip Randolph's group also in his segregation in the armed forces. And so he was one of these cats that he was the head of the March on Washington, you know, organizing with Bayard Rustin and MLK. Um, Randolph inspired uh, this idea called the Freedom Budget, um, which was initially aimed at tackling problems in the black community, but later kind of got rebranded as a Freedom Budget for All Americans, which listed as its goals as the abolition of poverty, guaranteed full employment, fair prices for farmers, fair wages for workers, housing and health care for all, uh, the establishment of progressive tax, um, and fiscal policies that respected the needs of working families. And so this nigga was out here, <laughs> 1960s, just like full on, yeah, like this is the shit that, you know, guaranteed full employment, and guaranteed full employment to come to a figure that actually is more well known, but is frequently... Um, I don't want to say whitewashed, but like pacified in terms of how they're talking about. Martin Luther King Jr. was a Democrat socialist. Yep. Like policies, like full employment, like a universal basic income and a federal job guarantee. Were kind of, the kind of shit, and like his organizing around uniting the black and white working classes for a movement of poor people. Of just like, if you white, if you black, if you gay or you straight, if you Mexican, if you're a woman, and you ain't getting paid with your fair share... Then you're, part of the, then you're part of then, this. Then let's do this shit. And that's when they fucking murdered his ass. I mean, and then Al Sharpton's ass don't want to talk about and, that shit. And don't forget, like, you know, when when they wanted to vilify Martin Luther King, they threw the word communist they around. They called him a fucking communist. Like, commie, commie. Like, as a matter of fact, like, everybody in the civil rights movement, they were calling them communists back then. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, Angela Davis's mother was a national officer and lead organizer in the Southern Negro Youth Congress, which was or, which was influenced by the Communist Party. And so Davis grew up surrounded by communist organizers and thinkings, which, you know, significantly impacted her own intellectual development. 
And then, yeah, you know, Angela, Dr. Davis, we met on first name base with her, just because that's our girl. Don't tell me that go around the Angela. Uh, you mean Angie? Angie. Oh, oh that you mean girl. my girl, Angie? Yeah. That girl. I know, I know that bitch. We're after that bitch one time. Um, so, you know, she was a famed member of the Communist Party, was twice the Communist Party's candidate for vice president in the, in the 1980s. So when people are calling Black Lives Matter a Marxist organization, given some of its redistributed policies, um, even things like reparations, like given that... Like, I mean, I don't want to go so far as to call, like, black people the original working class in America, but the re- the idea of reparations, of a redistributive policy to make amends for the labor that was stolen from the folks that helped build this country, like, it's, it's, kind of, it's social. Yeah. In the sense of, like, giving back to the people that build wealth and build value what is owed to them. And so ideas, like, from redistributive policies, both in the sense of, um, the lack of generational wealth in the black community, or if you want to look at like ideas like defunding the police and police abolition, coming from folks like Angela Davis, who were themselves are themselves communists, like it's honestly not really a stretch. It's honestly not really a stretch, but um, I think there's a lot of work to do with uh, teaching everyone, black people included what socialism means well and that and that we can address we can address the ills of racial capitalism that are exploiting black workers that are making it so that more of us are getting covid right now because more of us work in service and hospitality and retail industries feeding into the capitalist machine yeah we're not getting fucking hazard pay and we're not getting health care because well this being waiting on reparations you know we have to find a hip-hop angle and a hip-hop in and i feel that um it is kind of a you know it is a a good question to wonder what is hip-hop's relationship or role within the paradigm of these differing economic ideologies of capitalism socialism and communism and to do that i had a little conversation earlier with the homie space baby now, Space Baby is a communist rapper and beat maker, and he runs a YouTube channel called Space Babies, where they discuss art, history, politics, and all of it from a Marxist perspective. Right now, he's releasing a video series called Marx in the House, which is explaining gentrification all from an anti-capitalist perspective. And when I discovered him, it was from a previous video series he had called Marx on the Mic which is all about what we're talking about right now, which is hip-hop's role in relationship with capitalism and socialism and communism and whatnot. So stay tuned. We're going to get into that after the jump. L-A-S-I-K LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. <clears throat> AT&T connects an O to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 
10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Maybe this is the part where rap is the deepest entrenched in capitalist ideology. And the ultimate racks to riches rap song, and this is debatable, is Biggie's Juicy. I mostly want to take a look at the hook, because honestly, it's sung by capitalists. Check it out. You're a black man, and you know what your place in society is. Even though you recognize that the system is not built for you, forget that shit. Ignore it and try to get rich. Stay complicit in this capitalist system and I'll reward you richly. <laughs> Yo, that was a clip from the series Marks on the Mic by our next guest. God, moments like this really make me wish that I was doing this in front of a live audience because then I could be like, yo, everybody make some noise for communist rapper, beat maker, space baby. (laughs) How you doing, man? What's good? What's good? I'm really excited to be on and talk about literally my two favorite things in the world, communism and hip hop. So you're, you're in the right place for that. So, um, first off, you know, I got to ask you, so name, how, how, what's up with the name Space Baby? Right. So at first, so it started out, uh, as kind of a thing of, you know, like, oh, I'm different than the rest. I must not be from earth. You know, I'm from space. I'm a space baby. We're all space babies and things like that. And then, you know, like when I kind of grew out of that mindset of like, nah, I don't want to be apart from the people. I want to be one with the people at that point, the name stuck. And I like the sound of it. Yeah. So at this point, that's just what Space Baby is. So how long have you been uh, making hip hop? I've been making hip hop for 14 years now at this point. I've been I've been I've been rapping for about 14, 15 years and I've been making beats for about 12 years because, oh, sure. you know, when I started out, I was shitty. Nobody wanted to give me beats. And I was just like, man, I'll make myself some. Fuck y'all. So at that point, <laughs> when I started to make beats for myself. Oh, I know what that's like. That's why I produce because I didn't have anybody to make beats for me, too. So what type of stuff were you into? What are your influences? So when I, I have a very, like, I've always been a fan of history. So every time that I would, like, discover something new, I would always go back. So I was that annoying kid in middle school listening to nothing but 80s rap and shit like that. (laughs) Quoting MCs nobody knew. So it was really, I would say that um, Public Enemy takes a nation of millions. Like that record convinced me that I wanted to spit. Um, 
And then after that, you know, I just started to get into all the classics, like A Tribe Called Quest, De La, um, Freestyle Fellowship, like really anything. I didn't really know much about because I grew up in the Netherlands. I didn't really know too much about the States. So it was all one big thing for me. I didn't really, you know, oh, West, West Coast has this, East Coast has this. Like, oh, it's just American rap music, you know what I mean? So, um, so yeah, so I got into everything. And I think at this point, um, I feel like my latest, biggest influence was probably Kendrick and uh, and a California, another California-based MC called Bamboo. I would say those two are my biggest uh, inspirations right now. The way that I was introduced to you was through your YouTube channel. Um and that in particular just caught my attention, just marks on the mic. It just seemed like, <laughs> you know, it seemed like right up my alley in terms of the vein of hip hop that I'm into and stuff like that. So checking it out, it was really insightful. Now, I obviously introduced you as communist rapper. You run a YouTube channel that's all about the Marxist perspective. It seems like that's a big part of your identity or your rap identity Mm. so what brought that on was that always something from the beginning when you first started making music or is that something that you kind of developed into your rap persona as it were i was yeah i would always like rap what i was going through and you know because i started to 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 spit at a young age i would rhyme a lot about you know teen angst stuff like that like I would just pretty much spit about two things, like one being depressed and two being the best MC alive, you know, a lot of times, yeah. like at the same time. And so, you know, every time I would get into new things, like when I was really starting to get into film, I would, you know, incorporate a lot of like movie quotes and movie references, same for literature. When I was really getting to like magical realism, science fiction, I would find a way to incorporate that because a lot of the aspect of what I like the most about rap is kind of that stream of consciousness. So yeah. it would really be whatever I would be into and absorbing that would that would show up in my music. So after college, when I got into Marxism, that it, it very naturally found a way into it, although much more intensely than any other topic that yeah. had been incorporated in my music before. Now, with the nature of like just just political ideology just in general it's it's it just naturally lends itself to something that you try to persuade somebody towards you know what i'm saying like depending on whatever your ideology is so as an artist do you, does it ever do you ever find yourself like walking a fine line between that's naturally what's coming out but you also don't want to be too preachy about about your shit on the audience or is it like fuck that that's what i'm going for is you know you're you're coming here to, to have to be converted it's okay i mean that i mean all like all art is branded with a class character so yeah. like you know i'm i'm pushing something when i'm not talking to, if i'm not talking about communism i'm pushing capitalism like it's not always that easy but sometimes it is you know yeah and for me that fine line which you you know what you're referring to is very real and most MCs don't know how to walk it and I don't know like I'll leave that up to other people but what I do know is I'm very conscious about it because much more than anything else it's so hard to do political rap right it's so hard like nine times out of ten you sound preachy (laughs) or if you try to like throw in concepts you know And, and and even then like even with with a with a well known group like the Coop, um, 
I have some comrades who think they're super corny, you know, when, when in that one song they get like when I spit in dialectical analysis, everybody like, man, that's corny. Throwing the word dialectical <laughs> in there. So it's always, it's always a fine line. But uh, at the same time, it's both something that comes out of me naturally and also something that I, you know, I see the shit that I put out is part of the class struggle by default. And I have to be conscious of that. Specifically talking about socialism today, and you're a communist, so could you explain what is the difference between communism and socialism? Sure. So socialism, so when it comes to capitalism, um, that's based on wage labor, right? So you have a bunch of people who sell their their power to work, right? When you go to a capitalism saying like, hey, I can work for you. Please hire me. Give me an hourly wage, right? So we're selling our labor power essentially. And we do not own the products that we make, right? So that's the capitalist um, part of it. Now, under communism, there's no such thing as selling your labor power, right? You don't go to another person and say like, hey, please rent me out. I'm, you know, I need fucking food. So please like hire me. Um, It's about you own what you produce, right? So you're in sole control of your, of your, of your ability to, to work essentially. And it's also, there's a communal aspect to it, right? Like we're all working together to um, produce what is necessary for the community. So, okay, so you have capitalism and communism, but then where does socialism come in? So socialism is that transitional period. It's kind of this realization like, hey, these two things that I just described, they're very, very far apart, right? Especially <laughs> on a global scale, that's going to take a long fucking time to get from point A to point B. So socialism's that transitional period where the working class uses the tool of the state, right? So has control over the state. So there's still a state to slowly transition out of, right? So you're slowly, um, you're slowly phasing out wage labor essentially um and so that's one side of it now you have people who call themselves socialists but who really mean democratic socialists and i think that's where the tricky part comes in they say hey i'm bernie sanders says i'm a socialist but he's not he's a democratic socialist he doesn't want to abolish capitalism he wants a better capitalism right he wants a quote-unquote fair fair capitalism yeah that's why i say that I'm a communist to really let people know I'm not a democratic socialist. Like I want, <laughs> I don't want wage labor. I want us all to work for the common good for each other. I don't want anybody owning my shit. I want all of us to own shit collectively, except my toothbrush. I can keep my toothbrush. <laughs> so with this, uh, with this thing of ours, this hip hop thing that we got, like, what, how does this fit? You know, hip hop as a culture. You know, not not the commodified understanding of hip-hop but hip-hop as a culture and with the history that it has how does it fit into this this paradigm of different economic ideologies right right there's two parts of that again you know there's there's a there's a duality to uh to to a lot of things so i would say that the first thing there are communist aspects of hip-hop right like the cypher is one of those things right it's a circle it's very 
I mean, it's not necessarily non-hierarchical because we've all been in a cipher where you have like old heads and MCs and they will yeah. not give you the right <laughs> ever, <laughs> you know? Um, but but essentially, it's right. It's based on skill. It's based on merit, right? It's based on, on common values, essentially. Um, and within every economic system, so within capitalism, you're always going to have some counterforce. It's never ideologically, it's never purely capitalist. There's always going to be some counterforce. And so I would say that there's nothing essentially about hip hop that is either or. I would even say that from the get go, it was used for both. Um, that is the short answer to it, that there is not. And I think that's kind of also my beef with concepts like conscious rap and shit like that. So, all right, conscious about what? You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. very, very idealistic. So I would say that it can be used for both. Um, it's it's from the get go. It was both both pro capitalist and anti capitalist, essentially. Pro cap both pro capitalist and anti. But which do you if do you have like an opinion as to which one it leans more towards? I would say. So I could give you my full opinion, but that's going to be a rant. Hey, this is waiting on reparations, dude. We support the rant. Rant away. So, yeah, because essentially, so, like I said, like, the way capitalism treats hip-hop is is really insidious, right? So, like, from the get-go, there was a commodification of rap music and hip-hop culture, right? So, from the start, hip-hop and rap, they were turned by capitalists into commodities, you know, which means that it was starting to be produced for exchange value rather than use value, Um by use value, I mean, you know, when hip hop started, it was it was it was a working class expression uh, and it was focused on, you know, expressing oneself, bringing people together. That was the use value. of it, Right. And so the music industry quickly commodified it and started to produce it for exchange value, which means how much money you know they can squeeze out of this thing. Uh, but even that just squeezing money out of hip hop, it doesn't tell the whole story, because what's important is what kind of music actually sells. Um and what messaging makes the most money and what sells is capitalist ideology, right? Why? Because big capitalists, they own the means of entertainment production and what gets pumped out. They control the narrative. So, you know, a lot of rap music from the bat contain pro-capitalist themes. And the tricky part about it is that the anti-capitalist part of hip hop can still easily serve capitalism as well. And how so? The, go ahead. No, I was going to ask you how so. Oh, because so essentially um, we can kind of link it to like a protest, right? So a, let's take like a song and a protest. So capitalists, they have allowed songs with, with themes of anti capitalism to come out, right? Like from the back, you had, you know, Grandmaster Flash saying like, Rats in the front room, roaches in the back, junkies in the alley with the baseball bat, you know, just like shit like that, like all of like right away, like describing shit like that. So why, why have capitalists allowed groups like Public Enemy to come out with a track like Fight the Power? And that's because it's like a song and a protest, they both can have a revolutionary aspect to it, right? Like there's protests who have brought governments down, 
I wouldn't say capitalism, but government. Sure, they've brought governments down. Same thing, a very well-timed song can be, be an anthem for a riot, for a protest, and it can help bring a government down. There's absolutely 100% that revolutionary aspect to it. I mean, that's why otherwise I wouldn't be... I mean, I would still be making music, but probably putting less time into it. But... What we also see is that a protest can have a counter-revolutionary function in the sense of we're all hype, we're all hitting the streets, you know, we're all shouting things, you know, we're throwing up our middle finger against the pigs like this and that, all this stuff. And it's like a cathartic thing. We're all letting out all this anger, all this hype, and it's very disorganized. We're hitting the streets every fucking day, and then we're going home, right? And then the next day we go on 9-5, we're like, okay, I feel much better. I felt like I really did something. But essentially, you didn't do anything. The same thing can happen with, with, you know, with a track like Fight the Power, where you, you know, you're rapping it, you feel like, damn, you know, I'm putting out all this anti-capitalist shit and, and you're rapping it, you're angry, it's all anti-government thing, you're bumping it with your friends like, yeah, man, they're speaking the truth. And then it's a cathartic expression. And then the next day you could just like, okay, you know, I feel much better. And then this week I can <laughs> up the show again, right? So yeah. it has that dual character. And, um, but there is a determinant factor. And that determinant factor is how is it connected to the on the ground movement? And um, same thing with protests, right? Like a, a, a series of coordinated protests by a revolutionary party that's like part of a larger revolutionary strategy can absolutely bring down capitalism. Same thing with songs, right? Art and artists like use as a part of a revolutionary strategy can help bring down capitalism. But what we see in the U.S., and after this, I'll you know stop with this long-ass rant, <laughs> is that um, hip-hop came out of uh, the ruins of the anti-capitalist movement of the 60s, right? Like 73, you know, 79, first record release and all that stuff. Like it's really in this complete leftist power vacuum that hip-hop arose out of. And I feel that that's why hip-hop has gotten a lot of leeway, you know, compare that to the revolutionary movement in the Philippines right now where artists are literally being gunned down in the street. Why? Because their shit is part of this struggle that has real material gain so that's the yeah. determinant factor so do you think that um american hip-hop i mean i would say hip-hop in general but do you think that american hip-hop has kind of been co-opted in a way by left by uh, by right-wing sort of like value systems i would say that there's you know what's interesting about rap is that they have different class laws they represent they can represent different class characters in the in the same song or the same verse even right yeah, like of course, you have yeah. somebody in a verse saying we need to you know bring the working class together and then say some real patriarchal shit you know yeah. so that, that shit happens all the time um the dominating line i do feel yes absolutely is pro i would say that the majority of of american rap is pro-capitalist yeah. um, but i think the and i feel like that's pretty well documented i just feel like that other part that the anti-capitalist portion how much power it actually holds on the relationship to on the ground movement i feel like that's not often talked about oh i definitely i agree with you on all that i guess where i would differ from you is i don't know how innocent i feel hip-hop is in it like i don't think hip-hop is like a hapless victim i like, I'm sure a lot of people my age was heartbroken in the last few months at like, oh, wait, 
my favorite rappers are supporting the Nazis? Oh. What the fuck is going on? Like, why? Why? Why are my favorite rappers saying "hug the police"? So uh, I'm salty about it. I can admit that. I'm definitely salty about that. I mean, just to speak on that real quick, like we yeah, all should have seen, like when Lil Wayne came out with Miss Officer, we all should have seen. <laughs> Yo, that, this is this is this could be a whole other topic for a whole other episode. You know, I'm sure that there was a lot of rappers, you know, in the mainstream who stayed silent because they were trying to protect their brand. But I wouldn't be shocked if the, you know, a good majority of them brains have been made into mush that they worship money so much that they're kind of cool with fascism and shit. Yeah, I would not be surprised at that at all. Like, does hip-hop even represent that to the average person anymore? I know fucking, I know a I know a bar back in my town in Savannah that's like a cop hangout, a southern cop hangout that bumps the most hardcore gangster trap shit all night. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, do these messages even represent that sort of like countercultural aspect anymore? And that's why just like just that circulation of music on its own is not enough. Like there was this this video that was that was uh, that was going viral with this Trump supporter at a Trump rally. You know, she had the Trump flag in her hand and she was rapping along with Rage Against the, Against machine. the machine. Yeah. So literally, this is probably the most ironic, you know, because even Rage Against the Machine, the early 90s, like they were supporting the Peruvian Communist Party was waging people's war in, in Peru in the 80s. Like it was they were much more hardcore and really into this shit mm-hmm. than, than a lot of other artists. And he literally has, you know, like those who wear the badge or whatever the fuck like in the song. And she was like, yeah, pro cop. <laughs> kind of this thing of just like, to, like, I agree with you. And to some level, also, right-wingers can literally do whatever the... You know, like, oh, this music makes me feel hype. You know what I mean? Like, I want to... For, for cops, like, oh, I want to arrest some fucking people while this, this shit give me, gives me adrenaline. I mean, it's, tr- it's true. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not... This, this is not like a... I don't even know what it is. Because it's not like I'm saying anybody should switch up the music that they want to make. You know, do you. It's whatever. But... I don't know. I kind of feel like I know I have I have a you know I'm a rapper too. I got I got a sense of like what's cool and what's not. And I don't mean cool as in like oh that's hip and ha- I just mean there's like sh- there's shit I don't fuck with. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, there's yeah, like yeah. there's like attitudes and, and perspective. There's like there's just shit that I'm like, "Yo, if you were wearing a maga hat, I wouldn't fuck with what you're saying and what you're doing right now." So, I'm not going to fuck with it just cuz you're spitting over beats. No, that's real. And I mean, and there's a lot of with 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 rappers. It, I mean, it's mostly disappointments, you know, even with Killer Mike. You know, Killer Mike was also making all these songs together with a lot of like progressive rappers. Like he, he, he has a track with with Bamboo, but he also owns a whole bunch of fucking businesses um, in Atlanta. So when 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 the George Floyd like protest came out, he was just like. You know, oh, y'all better not be coming through my neighborhood and like fuck my shit up and things like that. I'm like, dude, you literally rap like this so fucked up. Like, come on, not you, Mike. Not like he was one of the. It was him, and when I found out that Hannibal Burris was a landlord, those two were just like, so. <laughs> I'm like, not y'all. Come on, and and so a part of it, I think, is that thing of like, you're absolutely right. Like, I agree with you. There is no innocence, like when yeah. it comes. 
shit. A lot of rappers know what the fuck they're doing. They're making a very conscious decision. Um, and I think some of it, you know, it stems from, you know, like the, the, the class character of, of, you know, class mobility. You know, a lot of a lot of rappers, they, they start out coming from, you know, what we call lumpen backgrounds, which is just like outside of regular production, you know, like drug dealing and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then they move up to, you know, in the case of Killer Mike, like a petty bourgeois uh, class standpoint, which like, okay, I own multiple small businesses or to like fucking Jay-Z when you're, you know, own sports teams and you're like bourgeois to the core. So yeah. they tell us that if you, if you take, like, I'm sure that like 96 Jay-Z, or, you know, when he was on 90, when he was on the record with Big L and shit like that. Yeah. He had a different world outlook. You know what I mean? Like buying a official Van Gogh painting, it changed you. <laughs> it changed you know, because you're in a different class position. We we did an episode not too long ago where we were talking about um I as a matter of fact, I think it was kind of the same subject, like just like rap that just sounded Republican. <laughs> we're talking about the story of OJ and it was like, yo, who the fuck is he talking to? <laughs> it's like, wait, it's like like is did he is he straight up like talking about flipping buildings in Manhattan? Like <laughs> Like, you're not, t- like, are you talking to me? Because I don't know what the fuck that's about. <laughs> but, that's um, okay, uh, just to transition, so, um, so, like, what, what do, what can people find on your, uh, YouTube channel? Because it yeah, seems sure, like you put, cool. it seems like you put a lot of effort into that, I mean. For real, so right now, at this point, I, like you said, I'm releasing a video series, which is called Marks in the House. So that's a series about gentrification, and because, you know, a lot of times when people talk about gentrification is this shit of, of, oh, there's some hipsters moving into my street and there's a new ice cream shop that only sells golden flake ice cream cones and now my rent is going up. And it's like, yeah, but there's there's more behind that. And it's intentional, right, that they're keeping this information um, from us. So in that show, what I do, if you know nothing about Marxist political economy – so if you're out there listening, that's probably you because nobody teaches us this shit at all. And I had to struggle for a really long time to grasp all this shit because nobody was there to teach me. Um, if you know nothing about Marxist political economy or anything about or not much about gentrification, if you start at episode one, I will walk you through literally every fucking thing. And it's 21 episodes. And by the end, not only will you understand how gentrification works, but also how capitalism works and, 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 and this, even the, the historical switches that capitalism goes through. And they're all – most episodes, they're around 10 minutes, so it's you know, easily digestible. Some run a little longer. But it's kind of this, this thing like, okay, it was the same thing with Marx on the Mic where both series like if you don't know anything about Marxism but you're interested in either hip-hop or gentrification – Start from episode one. By the end, you will sound like the smartest party uh, person at the house party. <laughs> Word up. So uh, let our listeners know where they can find you. Where are you at? So it's on the on the YouTube channel. It's called Space Babies. So if you type in Space Babies, you'll find it. Um, even though there's this other vlogger who's called Space Baby who does like prank vlogs and shit like that. We won't match it up. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, if you, uh, if, you, if you just type in Space Babies, you'll find it. And you can find my music, um, Space Baby, on Spotify. So you can find some stuff there. I'm coming out with, with a new project on there as well. I would say that those are the main two avenues to find me. All right. That's what's up. Yeah. Thank you for coming through. I appreciate it. We, uh, we always 
end our shit with some uh, bars. You gonna you gonna spit with us? I'm down. For All sure. right, where let's get it in. Let me get a beat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We waiting on reparations. In a minute, millions of average women and men in the tragic position of trading and passion for wages and cash because they shackled by capitalism. Imagine a minute, millions of average citizens planting the spinach and waxing the kitchens and stacking the linens, contractors and renters and tenants, their labor extracted for pennies. What if they coordinated to address the sordid state of it in an organization? Guess fucking what? That's sort of what DSA does. And not even sort of, it's more of the crux. Taking the power from hoarders of bucks, big bankers offshoring their cuts. Converting the power of labor to those who create it. The billionaires owe it to us. So if you're jaded and surly by waking up early to earn a bag, if you sad about burning, if you've got a curious yearning and had it, but passively working, we got your back and we happy to have you. We are the DSA actively working. Uh. Unity, struggle, unity, the tussle. Can't promote revolution from inside your bubble. How do you reclaim the block when the shady cops looking for a way to spray your pops? How to make it stop when they're sitting in your city? If you act alone, you get popped with no pity. But if you organize a committee, five at first, but put in work, then it grows to 50. Watch the mood shift as the people grow together. Out of isolation, out of your vendetta, out of here with the fake fucking politician. Think they're clever. The people said, oh, that's with a vengeance. When you organize, you can reach your goals. Take back the land, take back control. Cleanse with the old, then in with the new. If it sounds simple, then you know that it's true. It's bigger than you. Revolution imminent. Cutbacks of food stamps can't afford insulin. No dental care here, even though your tooth aches when they charge it thou. Wow, how will you pay? Diabetes rampant. Sure, crushes all the seat. That you work to death but can't afford fresh groceries. What do you expect from a capitalist? Who only cares about profit, not about how you live? Gotta lift the curtain, keep the brain working. Gotta hit the books, red lawyers, red surgeons, the movement is surging. Sure to swallow up all the class traders when we rise from the bottom up. And that takes a lot of love, that's why they try to silence us. And the greedy wanna take the capital and bottle up. Maybe start a movement and what we do when you follow us. Cause what the Democrats provided, homie, is not enough. We take you back to class, election aftermath. All these motherfuckers going crazy with their fascist ass. I take a pass when releasing the button. You ain't gotta believe in this, but believing in something. The whole system gotta change and we need a discussion let's get it popping first talking about the means of production and i don't know if i'm a socialist i'm a smoking vocalist but i like where both my comrades are trying to go with this and the people that i really hate they want to go against you know me i'm an asshole so i'm gonna go with it <laughs> join dsa no doubt my name's lingua franca my name's dope knife and we are we are waiting on reparations are we are see you guys next week waiting on reparations is a production of iHeartRadio. Listen to Waiting on Reparations on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. 
Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. 